Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. You can view the live stream on Facebook at Mother Miriam Live. Now, here's Mother Miriam. Hello, beloved family. How are you doing? I pray that you're well. I am terrific. Um, we are moving forward here in Tyler, not knowing what God has. Uh, but, it, you know, the old expression, we don't know what the future holds, but we know who holds the future. So in, in from God's perspective, all is well. And if it's well from his perspective, um, uh, not well in that the church is not filled with sin and dissension um, and all of that, but but he is building his church through it, and the gates of hell will not prevail. And he said when he returns, it'll be just like in the days of Noah, people eating and drinking and being merry. It'll be the worst time on earth when our Lord returns. So um, whether it's soon or whether it's many years from now, we don't know, but we trust uh, the one who gave his life for us, and we want to live with him, for him, uh, with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so far, he's allowing us to do that, and I'm, I'm a happy camper. Um, uh, bishop Strickland is in Baltimore where the bishops are meeting, but he cannot be part of that meeting. And I, I think he was to lead uh, this morning a rosary um, outside that area. Um, so keep praying for him. He's doing well because he trusts God. And, um, and we'll see what God has in store. So pray for Bishop Strickland. Pray for all the bishops. In fact, I came across an article <clears throat> written by Monsignor Charles Pope, P-O-P-E, who uh, is a hero of mine. I think so highly of him. He's such a good priest and a Monsignor. And five years ago, he wrote an article and appeared in the National Catholic Register. <clears throat> and it was titled, A Cry of the Heart to Our Bishops. Please Restore Order to the Church. And the sub-message is, Our collective cowardice must be transformed into a clear, loving witness that is willing to endure the scorn of the world to reassert the truth of the gospel. If that sentence doesn't describe Bishop Strickland, I don't know what does. A cry of the heart to our bishops. Please restore order to the church. And this was written <clears throat> prior to the annual fall General Assembly of the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops um, in Washington, in, in, in Baltimore, rather, um, in 2018, exactly five years ago, ex in November of 2018, Five years ago, um, and um, and Monsignor Pope writes, as the annual full General Assembly of the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops approaches uh, again in November in Baltimore in 2018, we do well to ponder a critical work of bishops along with priests and deacons, that of governance. <clears throat> Governance, Monsignor writes, is suggested in the very title of the sacrament received in its fullness, the sacrament of holy orders, 
the word order suggests? Well, it suggests order. Maintaining order is generally understood to mean keeping things in good condition, directing things or people to their proper purpose and end. To be fair, Monsignor writes, the Catechism of the Catholic Church points to a richer meaning, a richer etymological meaning. Etymologically, that is the the science, the study of the origin of words. (coughs) Excuse me. (coughs) The word order in Roman antiquity designated an established civil body, especially a governing body. Ordinatio means cooperation, incorporation rather, into an ordo. In the church there are established bodies which tradition, not without a basis in sacred scripture, has since ancient times called ordines. And so the liturgy speaks of the ordo episcoporum, the ordo presbyterorum, the ordo diaconorum, other groups also receive this name of ordo, uh, such as catechumens, virgins, spouses, and widows. <coughs> so sorry. <coughs> it's straight from the Catechism, number 1537. So, Monsignor writes, the primary meaning of holy orders does not pertain simply to keeping things in good order, but to ranks or distinctions without, within a larger group. However, key to the ancient Latin term was the idea of governess, governance. Hence, while we sometimes use it in its wider sense, such as the order of catechumens, the term is usually restricted in the more formal sense to the ordained clergy. Catechism, 1538 states, Integration into one of these bodies in the church was accomplished by a rite, R-I-T-E, called ordinatio, a religious and liturgical act, which was a consecration, a blessing, or a sacrament. Today, the word ordination is reserved for the sacramental act, which integrates a man into the order of bishops, presbyters, or deacons, and goes beyond a simple election, designation, delegation, or institution by the community, for it confers a gift of the Holy Spirit that permits the exercise of a sacred power. The laying on of hands by the bishop with the consecratory prayer constitutes the visible, the visible sign of this ordination. End quote from the Catechism. <clears throat> Thus, the sacrament of holy orders does speak clearly to the maintaining of order, to governance. The very word bishop, in its Greek roots, also indicates this. Episkopos comes from epi, E-P-I, that's upon or over, and then skopos, which is to see or look. Therefore, a bishop is one designated to oversee a local area or diocese. Of a bishop, St. Paul writes to Titus that he must be able both to encourage with sound doctrine and to convict those contradicting it. For there are also many insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision. 
It is necessary to silence them as they overthrow whole households, teaching things that they ought not for the sake of base gain. To Titus, whom Paul ordained bishop in Crete, Paul wrote, the reason I left you in Crete was that you might put in order what was left unfinished and ordain priests in every town as I directed you, end quote. Hence, at the heart of the sacrament of holy orders <clears throat> is the keeping of order through the munis regendi, the office of governance. Indeed, this office is part of the tightly woven triple office of Christ conferred upon bishops and priests, teaching, governing, and sanctifying. The very word hierarchy most literally means rule by priests. Here, hieris is priest and archon rule. There is no getting around it. One of the essential functions of the sacrament of holy orders is the keeping of order in the church through governing, teaching, and sanctifying. So how are we in holy orders doing? By any reasonable measure, Monsignor writes, terribly. Indeed, some of the gravest disorder is to be found within the very ranks of holy orders. There is a shocking, now this is written five years ago, beloved, there is a shocking yet persistent picture of disorder, confusion, and denial up to the highest ranks, both nationally and internationally. There are, to be sure, notable exceptions in which holy and courageous bishops, priests, and deacons have sought to stand in the gap and heal the breach, often at great personal cost. The overall atmosphere, however, is one of unholy disorder brought about by the very ones ordained to bring holy order. The faith is openly betrayed and denied by renegade bishops. This is in 2018, beloved. Even whole conferences of bishops, the heads of religious orders, synods, so confusion and division rather than clarity or unity. Teaching is on holiday. Silence in the face of error is rampant, and listening without limit is called magisterial. Ambiguous euphemisms that violate Catholic anthropology, doctrine, and sacred tradition are adopted uncritically. There are wandering... Um, Celeb- oh, I'm sorry. There are wandering celebrity priests who promote the LGBT agenda without any reference to repentance or chastity. Policies that deny the Lord's clear words on divorce and remarriage and ignore St. Paul's admonitions about Holy Communion are proposed and adopted. Legitimate questions and requests for needed clarifications are met with silence. Beloved, we will continue this from Monsignor um, Charles Pope when we come back from the break. And as always, when we come back from the second break, we'll have a half hour all to ourselves for your calls and your emails. Toll free, the number is 1-877-511-5483 or email at mother at thestationofthecross.com and we'll be right back.
Hello, beloved. This is Mother Miriam, host of Mother Miriam Live. Like the Catholic Current and the many other programs that originate from the Station of the Cross, Divine Mercy in My Soul is all about the messages that Jesus revealed to St. Faustina. It is aired every Sunday morning at 11 Eastern and Tuesday nights at 8 p.m. Or you can listen anytime to Divine Mercy in My Soul on the iCatholic Radio mobile app. We hear all the time from listeners who discovered the station by seeing a Tri-God bumper magnet in traffic. You can request a free bumper magnet and start evangelizing just by driving around town. Go to thestationofthecross.com and click on Promotional Material under the About tab. There you can request a magnet for your listening area. We even have one for the iCatholic Radio mobile app. Request yours today. St. Thomas More House of Prayer and discover the prayer that will change your life. The St. Thomas More House of Prayer is a Catholic retreat center dedicated to praying and promoting the Liturgy of the Hours, the prayer of the Church. The Liturgy of the Hours is prayed each day, starting with the Office of Readings at 5.30 a.m. and ending with night prayer at 8 o'clock p.m. So whether you're an individual or a group, schedule your visit today. Go to liturgyofthehours.org or call 814-676-1910. That's 814-676-1910. We would love to help you experience the Liturgy of the Hours and discover the prayer that will change your life. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved family, to the Station of the Cross, to Mother Miriam Live. I am she, I am alive, and I'm thrilled to be with you. We have been reading a, an article written by Monsignor Charles Pope. He's a priest of the Diocese of Washington, D.C. Um, he has a, a regular column. He is a fantastic holy priest. I wish he were a bishop. Um, and he's written an article exactly five years ago in November 2018 um, titled, A Cry of the Heart to Our Bishops, Please Restore Order to the Church. This was written just before the annual bishops' meeting in Baltimore in November 2018. So we're exactly five years from that now, and the bishops have just begun their annual meeting, uh, the U.S. Conference of Catholic Bishops. And... Monsignor is pointing out that um, those ordained to holy orders are called to government, to order, um, and because they have stopped uh, ordering, um, um, hold on, something just happened. Oh, what happened? Uh-oh. Uh-oh. I don't know if I'm going to be able to get it back. Let me see. So Sorry. No. All right, just a moment. Well, I'll tell you, I'm going to look for it, um, but 
something just happened to my computer. Maybe the enemy does not want me to read it. So it disappeared. Hold on, I'm going to type in Monsignor Charles Pope, um, 2018. Let me just see if I can get that. Um, because he's, t- he's re- writing this five years ago, and his points are exactly uh, what is today, exactly what is going on today. Um, oh, dear, 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 dear. Hope's warning. Well, he's written so much. I don't know if I could uh, get it again. Let me just try here. And if I can't, that is okay. But everything that the Pope wrote about five years ago is happening today. Um, it could have been written this morning. It's a Here it is. I got it back. Thank you, Lord. Uh, titled, A Cry of the Heart uh, to Our Bishops. Please Restore Order to the Catholic Church. And everything Monsignor's writing, again, he could have written it today to the bishops who are meeting in Baltimore today on their annual meeting. Um, and he says, um, how are we doing in holy? He says, the, the heart of the sacrament of holy orders is keeping of order. And he says, how are we doing? And he says, well, we're doing, uh, by any measure, terribly. And he goes on to say, the faith is open. I'll just uh, headline what we've already read. The faith is openly betrayed and denied. Teaching is on holiday. There are wandering celebrity priests. And now to the next one, Catholic colleges openly teach dissent without any correction from the bishops. And there is a tolerance of a moral life among their students that would shock even the most pagan of the ancient Greeks and Romans. Liturgical abuses have abounded and remain uncorrected for decades in the seminaries and with the priesthood. Homosexual predation by an apparent network of priests has gone on for years, along with cover-ups, denials, and secret payouts. The number of states initiating grand jury investigations is increasing daily. The federal investigation into abuse by the Catholic priests now includes every diocese in the country. Mass attendance has been declining for years leading to the closing of numerous parishes, parishes and schools. There has been an almost complete loss of Christendom in the past 60 years. Scandals continue to arise. The Vatican Bank has been plagued by a scandal for years. A drug-fueled homosexual orgy reportedly took place in the summer of 2017 in the apartment of a high-ranking Vatican prelate. There have been seemingly arbitrary dismissals of bishops and priests, both within the Vatican and elsewhere. The Holy Father himself is surrounded by questionable figures who are at the very heart of the current crisis. He has received credible, largely corroborated allegations by a former nuncio that he and others knew of the illicit activities of former Cardinal Theodore McCarrick. In response to the crisis, from Rome there has been silence name-calling of those requesting investigations, and only occasionally promises to look into the matters. The faithful are dismayed by the chaos. Even prior to the current sexual and financial scandals, 
the general stance of this pontificate has been artfully described as weaponized ambiguity. Some of the most confusing and strange things have been said and done by the Pope and then left unexplained. Many of the faithful who love the Church and the Holy Father have been placed in the highly awkward position of having to openly express their dismay, sadness, and confusion. If my picture of disorder is too extreme, Monsignor Charles Pope says, I beg your mercy. If some of the facts I have presented are erroneous, if my conclusion is too strong in some area or regarding some particular person, I repent. Along with many Catholics, I am dumbfounded and feel most uncomfortable speaking in this way. With so many of the faithful, I am grieved that I even have to mention these things publicly. My preference has always been to remain silent. And the fact is, I personally think what Monsignor Charles Pope has written uh, is not exaggerated, is not incorrect, in fact, is um, um, rather calm to what's been happening. Monsignor says, I also repent because I am a member of the very hierarchy and cadre of those in holy orders I describe. I have been a priest for nearly 30 years now, and this disorder has only increased on my watch. I cannot exempt myself from all blame. While I have not committed any moral crimes, I have at times in the past been impatient with some of the faithful who raised concerns such as the ones I have written about today. I would often scold them for speaking against church leaders and remind them that dissenters spoke in such a way. It goes against my training and my nature as a Catholic and a priest to recite this litany of disorder. I even admit to the fear of retribution for my words. I would like to mention again that while the big picture is bleak, there are many bishops who have spoken courageously and taught well during these dark days. May they be confirmed by the Lord and preserved in their ministry. <clears throat> As our bishops prepare to meet, I beg them to hear a cry of the heart. Now, Five years ago, this was written just prior to their meeting. Now I'm reading it on the second day of their meeting. And um, uh, I don't know that they'll hear this or not, but Monsignor Pope says, as our bishops prepare to meet, I beg them to hear a cry of the heart, not just from me, one of their priests, but from so many of the faithful who must live with a disorder in the church that we who are in holy orders have every obligation to correct. Our credibility is nearly non-existent. The only path forward I can reasonably see is a repentance, not only of sorrow, but of strong amendment. We clergy must amend our lives by recommitting to the Lord's doctrinal and moral teaching. We must strive to live it ourselves and be serious about reproving dissenters and serial violators and removing them from our ranks. We must honestly call out sin and refer to it by its proper name. We must speak no less plainly than did our Lord and his apostles who used words like sodomy, fornication, adultery, greed, hatred, divorce, and heresy. Resorting to vague terms like woundedness, clericalism, and abuse of power only diminishes our credibility. People can see right through such 
obfuscation. It is not my place, Monsignor Pope says. It is not my place, nor is it my goal, to set forth an agenda for the upcoming gathering of bishops. However, we who share in the sacrament of holy orders are currently presiding over a landscape of terrible disorder and have no one to blame but ourselves, even if we have not personally committed moral offenses. Too many of us have remained fearfully silent and or indecisive. We have not courageously witnessed to the truth. The heroic example of the martyrs is almost unknown among us. We must change. Indeed, we must seek a remarkable transformation wherein our collective cowardice is converted, as if by miracle, into a clear, loving witness that is willing to endure the scorn of the world to reassort reassert the truth of the gospel. May our love for God's people be so great that we refuse to lie to them or water down the truth that alone can set each one of us free. May we who share in the exalted sacrament of holy orders, by God's grace, restore order to the Lord's church, an order that both he and his good people deserve and require. And may God's good people pray and fast for our bishops as they prepare for their upcoming meeting. That's the end of Monsignor Pope's article. And um, again, it could have been written this morning or two days ago before the, um, the bishops went into the meeting. Um, this is exactly November, five years after this was written. And not only have worse things occurred in the church, not only have, has the heresy increased, uh, not only have the sheep been scattered, they're leaving the church by droves, absolutely nothing has been done to set order in the church. In fact, if anything, it's the very, very opposite. Sheep are le- left to fend for themselves, to figure out what they should do and what they shouldn't do, to understand how they should obey an errant or unholy bishop. What should they do when the sacrament is refused to them? Or it's refused to them on the tongue, which is the norm of the church. And no bishop and no priest has any right to refuse communion on the tongue. No right whatsoever. No priest and no bishop has any right to close a church. As Cardinal Burke said, I don't know if there's a higher canon lawyer than him in the church, um, uh, as he said um, more than once, the sacraments, the mass, is not man-made. Going to church on Sunday, receiving the Holy Eucharist, is not a human order or invention. It is divine. And no bishop and no priest, no pope, no one, can um, come against God's orders for his people. No one can stop. If you stop them, if you close the church, if you forbid the sacraments, including the sacrament of the Eucharist on the tongue, its most holy means of reception according to the canon law of the church today, um, you are in grave sin. And the fact is you have no right whatsoever, not from a disease, not from the Pope. Uh, This is divine, and no human being can interfere with it. We'll be right back after the break, beloved.
Conversation of the Cross, we proudly bring the truths of the Catholic faith to countless listeners through radio and mobile devices, and we're grateful for the feedback we've received. I'm a uh, widower, parent of three almost adults, and listen to you guys around the clock. Father McTigg, Society of Jesus, he's wonderful. Mother Miriam, of course, the Divine Office, and many other great things that Station of the Cross does. So thanks very much for your great work. I had a friend at work email me and tell me about the Station of the Cross a couple months after it started, and I was so excited. I tuned into it, and I found that I love the Catholic Station. If you've been blessed, by listening to the Station of the Cross, let us know. Call 1-877-888-6279, extension 112. Then share your testimonial with us. Station of the Cross Catholic Media Network is dedicated to answering the critical need of access to quality, consistent, professional, and proven Catholic programming. We cannot rely on other media outlets to properly represent our church. Catholic Radio reaches Catholics, non-Catholic Christians, and non-believers alike. As a nonprofit lay organization financially independent of your diocese, our apostolate is listener-supported. What you're offering and giving to me, you deserve to get back because you're offering more than I can give. I learned so much through the station on the cross. I listen to the radio station daily and I absolutely love it. I was attending the chapel and places like that and through your programs I was able to find out how other Protestants had come back into the Catholic Church. God bless the station of the cross. Donate today at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. This is my favorite time, our half hour together. And our lines are open. You're welcome to call in with anything whatsoever on your heart. Toll free 1-877-511-5483 or email at mother at thestationofthecross.com. We have an email from somebody who writes it anonymously and says, Mother, did you see the letter that was released by a priest of the Diocese of Tyler regarding the situation with Bishop Strickland? If so, I'd like to hear your response. Are the claims made in the letter accurate? You know, I'm not here. I, I have read the letter. Um, I've also verbally heard this priest over the Internet say what the letter says. Um, it, it really made my heart sick. Um, I'm not here in the diocese long enough. I'm in the Diocese of Tyler just a little over a year, and in our new home about four months. I don't, uh, I don't have the history to, uh, to judge everything this priest has said. He has come against uh, Bishop Strickland. Uh, I think he's very happy for the Pope's removal of Bishop Strickland. Um, I, I think he doesn't appreciate uh, the path Bishop Strickland has taken in his outspokenness and his governance of the Diocese of Tyler. Um, again, I don't know the history here because I'm newer, but 
I do know when I met with Bishop uh, Strickland earlier on of my uh, having come to Tyler, and I asked him how things were and how about his priest, does he have support, or, you know, um, what's going on. And like any bishop would say, uh, he has support indeed, but he also has those who are who oppose him. Um, I don't know that there'd be a bishop in the United States that uh, do not have that does not have priests who oppose him. Um, he can be very wonderful and traditional, and be opposed by those who um, are not traditional or who. Um, uh, think things should be done in a different way. Um, and then he's supported by priests who say, finally, at last, a good holy Orthodox bishop, yay. You know? So that is the case with bishops, unfortunately, with priests under them, and it's the case with people also. There are people who are very glad he's out of the diocese, and there are people like us who grieve uh, that he's out. So um, uh, the fact that this particular priest has found it appropriate um, to speak publicly, as he has, about his grievance with Bishop Strickland, pretty much shows his, his disrespect and um, other virtues that he lacks, uh, and perhaps a, a certain amount of traditional teaching that he doesn't agree with. So I can't say more than that, because I don't know. I'd have to. I did read his letter and I did hear him, and I'd have to go back and do research for years in the diocese um, since Bishop Strickland became bishop and, and see what he's talking about. Um, there, are priests, there are bishops who remove um, um, what people consider wonderful priests, and they're not wonderful, and there are bishops who keep priests in who think uh, that are destructive. So uh, all kinds of stories, and, and I, again, I, I have to do the, the research on the background of this one particular priest, but um, uh, I've also, which I won't say, understood things about this particular parish that he runs um, um, that doesn't surprise me that he would speak out like that. Okay, I'll, I'll end it at that. Um, we have an email from Andrew, and Andrew says, Dear Mother, I'm having difficulty in coming to an understanding regarding the concept. Oh, Andrew, yes, we ended with this um, the other day, and I said I would take it up first. Um, Andrew says, <clears throat> I'm having difficulty in coming to an understanding regarding the concept of how God presents his will. I want God's will to be done so I can know, love, and serve him in this life and in the next. And my priest said that God's will is based on our choices, as people can choose marriage, religious life, or the priesthood. Um, that's not true. Mother Miriam, who are you to oppose a priest? It's not true. Uh, God allows our choices. He gives us free will. And to be married or enter religious life or the priesthood, there's nothing sinful in that. Absolutely nothing sinful in that. But is that how God presents his will. No. He allows it, and when we choose it, uh, his very allowance, you could say is his will that he allows it, and that doesn't mean we're in sin. But our choices don't present his will. How uh, do not speak for his will. How many people choose abortion? And they're Catholic. 
and they say the church teaches to go not go against their conscience, and their conscience tells them to kill that baby. Is that how God presents his will? Absolutely not. All that God truly wills for us is to be as, this is what the priest said, all that God truly wills for us is to be as close to him as possible. That's not true either. Apostle Paul wrote to the Thessalonians that this is the will of God for you, your sanctification. All right? That doesn't mean just be as close to him as possible. Uh, It means to become holy. It means to separate yourself from sin. Um, Like at a playground, I guess this is the priest illustration, like at a playground where the children engage in different activities, a father does not care if his children use the swings or play basketball or soccer. He just wants them to play safely in family harmony. It's not true. You sit and watch a TV. One chooses a murder mystery. One chooses uh, pornography. Another chooses uh, the sound of music. We're all happy. Uh, No, absolutely not. Absolutely not. And this Andrew says, this conflicts with my understanding of how I see God's will as something that is based on him predestining things for us except salvation. Andrew, that's also not right. I said all this last time. God does not predestine us to certain things, um, meaning that um, we are, if, if the understanding of predestined has to do with we are robots, so to speak, and like John Calvin, who had been a priest of the Catholic Church and left, and he taught predestination, um, God's sovereignty means that he's predestined us for a certain thing, and no matter what we do, we, that's what, how we'll wind up. Um, we could ask Jesus into our heart, we could live a faithful Catholic life, we could live a life of a saint, but if God has predestined us for hell, that's where we'll go. That's what Calvin taught. No, absolutely not. Um, so I'm not sure how you're using God's predestined things. He, he calls us to certain things, but not predestined in the sense of um, uh, that's uh, God's uh, uh, end for us no matter what. Um, and Andrew says, when I hear people speak about how, how God brought them to one of three vocations, uh, some people don't, or don't think there's three vocations. Some people think there's one. Some people think there's two. Some people think there's three. I always get the sense that God predestined these for them, yet they had the freedom to select his will or not. Hold on. Okay. In God's, is God's will based on his established way, which entails predestined features such as a certain vocation, spouse, or career for us and our interests, or is it based on our choices as long as they are holy and bring us closer to him? I might be misunderstanding my pre-statement, which may be the cause of this issue. I would wholeheartedly appreciate your thoughts, as they, however, always grant clarity uh, in Christ, Andrew. Andrew, um, I wish I had my notes with me at the moment because I gave a talk on how to know God's will, and it's based on um, and how God functions. Uh, it's based on St. Francis de Sales' book that's titled Knowing God's Will. Uh, and there are seven points he made. And the first point 
is to live up to what God has already ordained for you, which is holiness and love. We're all called to vocation of love. And again, not an emotional state, but to doing that which is holy um, and, and, and saintly and sanctified. Uh, we are set apart from God. The moment we are baptized, we are saints. We become saints. Um, we're not canonized, but we're saints on the earth. Paul writes to the saints in Rome, uh, to those called the saints in Philippi, as he writes to the Philippians. Um, those that are holy, that are set apart, which is what we are at our baptism, we are consecrated, set apart to God. We are saints now, not as we will be, uh, totally consecrated, excuse me, totally holy as the saints in heaven, but we are as the saints on earth. And as long as we live our Catholic faith, read First and Second Peter, First Peter chapter one, Second Peter chapter one. It tells you the exact path to grow, to add to your faith, knowledge, and understanding, and all of that. It'll tell you how to grow, and if you follow that path, you will know God's will. And if someone says, "What's God's will for your life?" You may say, I don't know, um, but the fact is, you'll be living it. People, Many people have said, Mother, how do you know you're called? And to this day, I, 15 years later, that this community has started, I said, I don't know that I'm called. I have no uh, bolt from heaven. I only know as I walk with God, as I try to please him, as I try to grow in knowledge and sanctification and understanding, I know what fills my heart, and that's what I do. And if I look back, I could see God's hand in it. But all I want to do is walk with God in what fills my heart. And what has filled my heart in walking through the world in a habit um, and giving my whole self to him, that not only has never left me, but um, has only increased with every day I awake. And so that's how you know God's will. You live it in holiness, in growth of understanding, sanctification, increasing in the knowledge uh, of our Lord, and letting the Holy Spirit fill you and lead you, and you will be doing what you want. Don't, you won't have to say what God called me to. If you're walking with him, you will do it. You will do it. And that's all I did, just to walk with him, and things just kept developing. How did you know God wants you to be a nun? I don't know that. I still don't know that. I know that sounds pretty stupid. But the fact is, I don't feel like a nun. I don't know what it feels like to be a nun. I only know I long to love God more and more and more each day and to be assigned to him in the world and lead the whole world to him. And this has come together by it. Blessed be his name. So, Andrew, um, just love God live for him, read the scriptures, particularly 1 Peter and 2 Peter, read the book of Ephesians, read Colossians, read the Gospels, read the whole New Testament, and then read the Old Testament, and live the faith God has given you. And two people could be in a room, and you see a bunch of poor people, and they're starving. One person wants to set up an organization so people can give to them and they can have beds. 
the other person in the same room wants to go out and buy tons of food and give it to and call up volunteers and give it to them. They're both meeting the need, but according to how God has made them. They don't stand there and say, God, what do you want me to do? You see a fire and you put it out the way you would put it out. Live for God. Walk with Him. And you will know God's will and you will be in it. It's not that um, you'll know it in the future. It's that you'll be walking in it right now, whether you know it or not. There's the music for our final break, beloved. And we'll have 10 minutes when we come back for your calls, your emails, toll-free, 1-877-511-5483, or email at mother at thestationofthecross.com, and we'll be right back. This is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question for your non-Catholic friend. Who did God use to get John the Baptist filled with the Holy Spirit? Well, here's your three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. Here's your choices. Could it have been Simeon or St. Joseph or maybe an unknown prophet? Maybe Jesus. Who was it? Your answer in a moment. Secondly, so what methods do we see in the New Testament for Christians receiving the Holy Spirit? Well, it was usually through the laying on of hands. Peter and John laid hands on those in Samaria. St. Paul laid hands on those believers in Ephesus. Prior to that, we we see Jesus merely breathing on the apostles. So here's your answer. A greeting. Yes, a greeting. You see, after Gabriel's powerful annunciation to the Virgin Mary, a simple, profound greeting from Mary to Elizabeth caused John the Baptist to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And as a result, he leaped in her womb. Now to all my daring Pentecostal church friends, no matter how much you pray in tongues over someone, this method won't work. Why? Because it's not a method. It was the divine team of the Blessed Trinity, Gabriel, Mary, and Elizabeth. And that, my friend, will not happen again. This is Jesuit Father Robert McTagg, your daily host of The Catholic Current. Join me on Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern to welcome back author Lila Lawler. We'll be talking about those excluded by the recent Roman Synod. How can this be when we're told that all are welcome? Find out on The Catholic Current on Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern, coming to you from the Station of the Cross and the iCatholic Radio mobile app. Station of the Cross has many ways to keep you informed about our programming. You can view the highlights of our primetime programming schedule or the full 24-7 programming grid at both thestationofthecross.com or the free iCatholic Radio app. Just search under the programming tab. Our website also offers a printable version for your convenience. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved family, to Mother Miriam Live. We have 10 minutes and you're welcome to call in with anything whatsoever on your heart. Um, the heart of the matter, I always say, is the matter of your heart. It doesn't have to be our subject. And so uh, the toll-free number is one 877 5483 or you may email at mother at And it looks like we have Cynthia calling in from California. Hi, Cynthia. Hello, Mother Marian. 
Hi. Hi, honey. So my question has to do with um, Advent that's coming up. Yes. So we've um, we've read, me and, me and my husband read the article you recommended on observing Advent with child, um, the Christ Waiting child. Waiting for the Christ child. Good for you. Yeah, so in the last two years, we've been doing everything we can to kind of change things that we, um, yeah, traditions. The kids are young enough that, you know, they kind of don't know this. <laughs> um, but they, anyway, they don't so know this. How, how, how young are your children? How many and how young? I have four, and we have a 16-year-old, so he kind of, um, he's okay. He's been going with the flow, and then um, 14, 13, and 9. Did you say they are too young to know, or, or what? I, I, I'm trying to understand your statement. Sorry, we started maybe even four years ago. I know the youngest was like four years old. And so Still when we stopped young. decorating, yeah, well, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, we uh, don't live a lot around a lot of families, so um, they're kind of, we're just kind of by ourselves. And so as we changed tradition, or as we're changing things that we used to do, like we used to do Santa Claus and the whole thing. So, right. Um, we're explaining to them, yeah, as we're doing these things. So they, they, they're pretty obedient. But my daughter, she's in piano, and um, we have lessons, and they're doing a um, Christmas play or a Christmas program. And, and where her school? Oh, no, um, it's just a program. We homeschool, and so it's a program. I, I take her to a, you know, an instructor. And um, she, okay. she, you know, she listens to what we say, and she listens to you, and... She was a little worried about learning Christmas songs. Um, mm-hmm. She didn't want to practice until after mm-hmm. Christmas. And mm. so I thought, well, she really mastered um, Come O Come Emmanuel. So, you know, we do the evening um, after Good. dinner. We we sing that together with the candles on and and after our rosary. And Good. she's able to do that on piano. And but mm-hmm. now she's wondering for this year, and she wants to learn a little more. And so um, I was wondering if you had any suggestions or what I can tell her if you know if she should be practicing the Christmas songs. Well, does she want to or does she want to refrain? What's her wish? It seems like she wants to refrain. I would absolutely go with that. Don't go against her heart at all. If she wants to refrain in honor of God. Let her refrain. Uh, don't force her. Don't talk her into playing. If she has that in her heart, absolutely honor that. The other suggestion is that you could point out, you could look up um, Advent songs, which would be fine. Um, we just Our newsletter now is at the printer, and on the back cover we have a hymn called O Come Divine Messiah. It's a very beautiful hymn. O Come, Divine Messiah. You could look it up on the internet. The music is beautiful. The words are beautiful. So that would be appropriate. So you can suggest that to her, but don't steer her. In, don't um, talk her into the, the fact that it's right to play piano. She won't be in sin if she plays, but respect her heart. And I would simply suggest that she could um, look up that one hymn, which is gorgeous, and look up other Advent hymns. And then she could both... Go ahead. No, I was going to say, it takes her about three weeks to learn a hymn, so that's actually appropriate. um, It would be perfect. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, it would be perfect. It would really be perfect. And um, even Christmas Eve, I'll come divine Messiah, and then he comes. It's, it's, it's a beautiful, beautiful hymn. Um, so do that, but don't, don't... When her heart, when any child's heart would go toward honoring God, don't ever dissuade them from that. Don't say, but it's okay, don't do that. Don't that. Help them to grow in holiness. Um, I've often talked about the Jews standing before Mount Sinai when our Lord appeared on Mount Sinai um, uh, uh, and, and didn't, they couldn't see him. He would only thunder. They would, might hear a thunder, but they couldn't touch the mountain or they would die because God was going to appear. And they had to prepare for to be a distance from the mountain for a time before he came, they would refrain from marital relations, which are not sinful, but that's how holy. Um, and um, uh, they needed to bathe. They needed to, uh, again, be holy during that time, prepare themselves to stand before the God of heaven. One sin could blot them out. So if we have a heart to honor who God is and his holiness, and never dissuade a child from that, even if they're much more stringent than you are. Uh, I would, I would, I would encourage them and honor their heart. Yeah, yeah. No, they took, um, they took, you know, the letter that we were reading out loud to them, the one that you recommended on the Christ Child. And um, like I said, I, for me, they were young. <laughs> she was six years old. She's um, thirteen now. Six years old is old it. enough. Yep. Four years no, old yeah, is old she enough. Just, <laughs> yeah, they took it. They took it to heart, and so when they see, I mean, our neighbors already have Christmas stuff out on their lawn, and um, they they understand that you know they're wanting to go straight to the fun part and not do the waiting that is required. And so it well, was very it, nice. And it's yeah, and it's not so much that it's required; it should be done out of love, right? So it's not law, but it's love. And so we, we, we're privileged. We get to be a part of walking with our Lord through his entire year, through his three years on earth. We get to be a part of that. And we get to experience in minute measure what the Jews would have had in waiting for their Messiah to come, which if they read the book of Daniel, they would have known it was that time there was great expectation in the year, which is why Herod wanted him killed. They knew the Messiah was to come and that he would be king and lord at his birth, which is why Herod the king wanted to do away with him. Um, so it, it's good to get back into the times of the people, of the culture in which things happen, because then you have a greater understanding and, and you walk along with it and your faith is wonderful. It's not just what we do as Catholics, it's what we are. It's identity. Thank you very much, Mother Miriam. <laughs> Thanks, Cynthia. And for all the parents listening, you see, um, Cynthia read this to her children when, they, when her daughter was only six and there was a younger one who was four. And look, you see, children are wonderfully affected. If you first wait till they get older or teenagers, the world has already gotten into them. They already have all kinds of questions. But a child is more pure and trusts their parents, trusts 
the parents' leadership. They, they believe more simply, and it affects their lives. That's why we need to live our faith from truly the cradle to the grave and um, dress our children modestly. Don't let them wear uh, skirts two inches below their hip when they're four, and then you, then you uh, make them with, wear a mid-calf when they're 13. It's not going to flow. Live your life your Catholic life, and don't wait for anything. Grow your children in the identity of who they are in Christ. Okay, Cynthia, I'm happy for your call. God bless all of you. There's the music for our, our um, the end of the program, and God willing, we'll be with you tomorrow. God bless you.